Hey, welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Allison Graham. And of course, this podcast is for high achieving professionals who are looking for tools and inspiration to rise above the challenges that they face because goodness knows we all face them and find a way to succeed anyway. Today's guest is someone who, if you just look from the outside, uh, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to go, wow, he is successful. He has achieved. He's spoken to over a million people and audiences. And you're going to laugh because <laughs> I have just you know been talking to him live for the first time, but I follow his work on uh, Instagram and LinkedIn and all of that and constantly making me laugh. So I wanted to have Stuart on the show. Stuart Knight is here with us today. Hey there, Allison. How are you? I am awesome. So great to have you. I was hoping, by the way, on the, when you said like on, on, on the outside, you say, wow, I thought you were going to talk about maybe I was an attractive man. I thought, oh. like, and then you went into like stats. I was like, oh, damn it. Well, if you haven't seen him, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen as well. He's a solid lot. seven out of 10. You're going to love it. I'm going to give him a 7.3. Oh, you're so nice. Rating on the Richter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not, in the, not the rectum. The, the Richter. Well, the Richter. Yeah, the Richter scale. You know, like powerful, earth-shaking. Yeah. That, yeah, good luck. Oh, on the Richter scale. Okay, that's not bad. Okay, yeah. Indonesia in the house. Okay, so what do you, what do you want to do? Well, let's see. It is Friday afternoon when we are recording this. So we're going to talk. I, I, I want to talk about some of your advice that you give on stage. Mm -hmm. And I've got a few things from your videos that I want to call you out on and just like sort of explore. Awesome. And then I want to talk about what's gone on behind the scenes because it has not all been rosy, like trouble financially, emotionally, all of that. So totally. we're going to, we're going to talk both sides and listeners don't forget at the very end, we have our rapid fire questions that are not so rapid Ooh. and they are coming up as well. Honestly, she has a gun in her hand, folks. Stay just tuned. <laughs> Let's see where it goes. If only people had video with the podcast, but they don't. Ah, too bad. All right. You said something and I laugh so hard because <laughs> you're right. You said something like, listen, you've got this big goal and you want to achieve it, but I'm telling you right now, you're not going, <laughs> you can't <laughs> do it. Yeah, yeah, that was, I, I do a lot of videos, as you know, but I, yeah. I, there's some that, of course, you just forget, but that's one, I said, I think the title of the video is Why Your Dreams Won't Come True. Right, you are a cookie crusher. Yeah, you know what, I basically am the poster child for motivational speaker. Yes. That's the, if you, if you don't know now, now you do. It's like, I get out there and some say, you know what, you can do anything you want. I'm the kind of guy that's going to say, what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? And you can't do it. But it ultimately, of course, you bring it around that you can do it, but you need to do the hard work. That's just it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I am so sick and tired of listening to people tell me about all these great things that they want to do with their life, whether it's starting a company or traveling around the world or taking a big risk or taking out a loan from the bank, you name it. And then you say, okay, so well, what's, what's your next step? And then they'll be like, well, I, I'm still kind of playing around with the idea in my head. Okay, totally cool. That's fine. I get it. That's, I've done that too. And then you bump into that person six months later and you say, so how's that idea coming along? Well, I'm still kind of, you know, hashing it out. I'm just having some coffee chats with people. Okay, yeah, coffee chats, good. And then, of course, a year later, two years later, we know how this goes. They never do it. And, 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 they're, and they're angry about it. It's like, you know what, believe it or not, you didn't do jack shit about the idea. You didn't put in any work. And, and that's, a, that's the next level too, right? How much work? They'll think, well, 
I did put in work. I, I had six coffee chats and I bought a URL from my website and I chose the colors. I knew what colors I was going to go with. I even had a tagline and, and they think, I, I, I told lots of people about it and no one has called me to do that service or to buy my products. And you think, wow, that, you thought that was enough. And there are lots is maybe four or five people. <laughs> oh yeah, lot, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the, and you mentioned this in the video and in the show notes, I'm going to be sure people have a link to your videos. Great. Thanks. So that they, can, they can actually see this. But one of the things you said is people, you stop mentoring people. Because they wouldn't do the thing that you suggested they do. Like, and even yeah. with sales. So this drives me nuts. People say, well, I don't have enough revenue. And then I'm like, yeah, but I saw you four months ago and I said, hey, I'd love to help you out. Yeah. Or oh, gosh, I want to buy your product. That's the one that gets me every time. You go to yeah. a trade show and you say, I want to order this yeah. from yeah. you. Totally. And you never hear from the person. I know. It's amazing. I, I just went through this with my brother last week. I said to him, because my brother's working with a bunch of different uh, not-for-profit organizations over the years. He's a high school teacher, does a lot of good work. I said, Calvin, you know, because it's Christmas time, right? Well, as we're, while we're recording this. And um, I said, Calvin, I want to give $1,000 to uh, uh, somebody that you might know who really needs it, but is going to buy something specific. I said, maybe they've got some kids who want to play hockey and they can't afford the equipment, whatever it is. Just you pick it. I'll give you a thousand bucks. He says, oh my God, that's so great. Thanks. So then he text messages me and he says, hey, I found uh, this organization in Africa. I used to do some work with them. I thought they'd be great. Okay, cool. I said, you have to email me because I'm not going to, I'm not at home, home on my computer right now. No, no email. Not going to happen. And I'm not going to remind them. I'm going to give the $1,000 to some other person in need. And some people listening to this right now might go, oh, that's so mean. Why would you do that to your brother? Just remind him. He's probably busy. It's like, no, because I don't know how long is it going to take for the money to get there? How hard is it going to be for um, him to even get the money from me? I mean, I just, I just, and I think that maybe I have um, a short attention span for these kinds of things. And, and maybe the example I'm giving does sound a bit harsh. And this, you know, the, uh, in all fairness, when I see him next, there is a likelihood I'll say, hey, are you going to send me that email? That is, that, that is my personality as well. But it's an example of, to me, the very first thing I would have done was go right to my phone and send the email immediately because I'm excited about someone giving a thousand dollars to a thing that I care about. And this is human nature. I, I can't tell you how many times over the years where, uh, when I used to produce musicals and, and, and big theater shows in Toronto and I'd be at a, a restaurant and we know that many people who are actors in the city of, or any city are, are usually servers as well. They have those kinds of jobs. And, um, I would meet them and then and they would tell me, they'd ask me what I do and I'd tell them what I do. Oh, and they'd say, I'm an actor. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed this meal tonight. You, you seem like you got a great personality. Here's my business card. We do auditions all the time. You should come on by. And they'd say, oh, wow, thank you so much. Never hear from them again. And do you know that in Toronto, there's a 90% unemployment rate for actors? 90%. So if you are an actor, getting a gig is so hard and you can't even email someone who's offering you a job. And this is, I see this all the time. That's the reason why I don't mentor. I do mentor some people, but when I mentor somebody, I'm very specific about the kinds of things I expect. And I always say, if you ever come to a, a phone call without uh, questions that will keep us going for the entire hour, we don't, I don't mentor anymore. 
and they and they come with like they got their questions yesterday i was supposed to meet a young woman who had been in my audience and uh i agreed i said i'll do a phone call she's like i would really prefer a face-to-face is that okay i'm like all right fine and she'd been trying to hound me for like about two or three months to get this face-to-face i said yes to it and then middle of the day listen you know what i'm gonna have to cancel that meeting because my workload has just become too busy I'm thinking I'm going to give you probably the equivalent of about $50,000 worth of free advice over the course of about 90 minutes. And you could use that to leverage that advice to go do great things and make a lot of money. And you're just going to go uh, and, and just because, because your workload is busy today, just do the work later on. And now, and she says, I'll, I'll, I'll contact you in January to see if we can reschedule. I mean, do you think I'm going to reschedule this person? Yeah. No, right. of course you wouldn't. Okay, but let's think about, let's unpack that because mm-hmm. these are people who obviously have big dreams. Yeah. They're engaged enough to make that initial connection enough for someone who they admire to say, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to meet with you. Mm-hmm. And then there's a disconnect. Yeah. So is that a lack of self-confidence? Is that a, you know, I'm not good enough? Is it a, I don't really believe he's going to help me? Mm-hmm. Is it... stupidity of just not realizing the power of that. Like I'm trying to unpack it. Like how do we stop that? It's a great, it's a great question. And I gotta say, Allison, I, I, I don't know the exact answer. I think that you probably hit on a few of them for sure. I think that one thing I do know for sure is that the a large percentage of people who I interact with and, 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 and meet do suffer from that imposter syndrome. Uh, where they don't believe that they belong. They don't believe that they should uh, deserve that much money, that much success, that much happiness, that much love. And for that reason, they will sabotage themselves to prove themselves right. They don't do it consciously, but they're doing it self, uh, subconsciously. I think that's a big part of it. Like all of a sudden now, I'm going to go to that meeting with Stuart and he's going to think my questions are stupid. And they'll think it's just easier to pretend I'm, I'm busy with work. And that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate because I, I would not think that for a second. I, I would think that anyone who came with earnest questions, uh, no matter how, I don't know what you say, how simple they might seem, I would never see them as being bad questions. Right. Well, because everybody's at a, a different level, right? Totally. Like where they're entering the conversation. It was probably a question that when you started, you had. Yeah. yeah. So when you, you started your speaking career, because you've done very well in terms of like big companies, big stages, speakers, bureaus as well. Thank you. But I understand that early in your career, you didn't have mentors. You weren't plugged into the speaker community to get started. So what yeah. was that like when you first got started? Like, was there some hits and misses? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I would think I'd had a great idea and I would think, okay, this is, this is really going to, this is going to really kill it. And I would, it wouldn't just fail. It, it would fail in a way where you'd feel like an, ato- an atomic bomb went off, right? It's like, how could, like, that, that, that could not have gone any worse. So I'll give you an example. When I, when I first started about 22, 23 years ago, I thought, I'm going to create a promo video of me, and it's going to be, like, really cool, and it's me doing motivational speaking, and it's going to be fast clips and music behind it. And all, I'm not even going to, I'm not, I'm not even going to let high schools ask me for the video. I'm just going to send them the video. And so I spent, I remember the number, it was $3,500, which is 22 years ago. So this is a lot of money. Oh yeah. And, right. So I spent 3000, which is almost all I had. And I said, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to book uh, at that time. I was charging $700 for a, for a show, for a motivational show in the high schools. And I thought I'm just, I just need to book five gigs and I've got this bad boy paid off. And 
I easy sent, peasy. Sounds oh, reasonable to hell, me. Yeah, I mean, what else do you need? And uh, sure enough, I did not get one phone call. And I must have sent out probably, I don't know, 200, 300 videos uh, to th- probably 300 different schools and not one phone call. I was, and I was devastated. I thought, okay, I can, I don't expect there to be a hundred phone calls, but like two, maybe, but maybe two or three and not right. even that. Yeah. And so you, you, you do have, yeah, you, you, in those moments where you, when you're trying to start something and you don't know anyone who's done it and you just kind of go with what you think is a good idea. Had I had a mentor, I may have thrown that out there and they might've said, yeah, not such a great idea. Here's the reasons why. And I could have saved a lot of money, but I had no other choice. I was, I didn't know anyone who did it. I think the harder thing now is they're looking at people who are already working with the huge companies, working on the big stages, and mm. you're judging yourself when you're starting compared to your 22, 22 years in the business. Right. Because that's hard too, right? That's the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do, are you saying then like the idea that someone who wants to be mentored, who's just coming into the business, talking to someone with 22 years of experience? Right. Well, like looking at you from afar. Yeah. Right. Or watch it like this person who is in your audience who obviously is like, oh my gosh, I want to be up there. Yeah. And then she's showing up to like, you know, she reached out to you and that kind of stuff. But then she may not, there might be other people who aren't reaching out to you and just trying to emulate what you're doing. Oh, well, I have to go to speaker spotlight. That's what I need to do to get gigs. Sure, right. Yeah, that's what he's doing. That's what I'll do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And and I've really, I've really learned that uh, when you have any type of idea, that it really does make so much more sense to just really ask the ex- experts. And I want your listeners to understand that I, just because I don't mentor as often as maybe I used to, it doesn't mean I don't 100% fully support mentorship. I'm a humongous believer in finding someone that's doing really well at something that you think you might want to do and doing whatever it takes. And let me be right, be very clear right now. Buying them coffee is not what it takes. They can afford their own coffee, right? Do Find the thing that's going to get their attention. Like find out that they, they, that they love reading, you know, fantasy books, and get them the next trilogy of whatever the, whatever the newest Harry Potter series is or whatever the new Lord of the Rings is. Buy that for them. Ship it to them. Spend 50 bucks in the process. That person will give you all the time in the world. And you get to pick their brain and ask them what, what did and what didn't work. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Or better yet, find the author, author and then invite them out for dinner. But <laughs> yeah, maybe I've got big aspirations. <laughs> you have to one up me there, right? Eh? That's a hell of a one up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're just brainstorming ideas. That's right. That's right. Spitballing. It's all good. All yeah. good. You also said in one of your clips, you already have the answer. You're just one question away from figuring it out. Yeah, that's that's one thing I think is important to know is that when you look at your future and you look at what it is that you want to accomplish. And it feels so overwhelming. And you think that you don't, you're never going to have the answers. Um, that is impossible. You have to realize that the, there is an answer, right? So for example, there is a cure for cancer. We just don't know what it is yet, right? But if scientists went in with the belief that there is no cure, well, they wouldn't try, right? So you have to understand that there is a, a, an answer to what you need to do in order to become very successful at whatever it is that you want to do or to become very happy in a, a particular category of your life. And if you just ask yourself questions, your brain will do that amazing thing it's hardwired to do. And that is answer, 
Like your brain can't, you can't answer, you can't ask your brain a question without it answering. Like if I say to right, right now to all your, your listeners who are listening to this right now, I say, okay, what's two plus two? Every person listening just said four in their head, right? And you can't even help it. Like even if you try to stop your brain from doing it, your brain goes, screw you. This is what we do. Right? Actually, I tried. Did you try? Yeah, I, I yeah. did in my mind. I'm like, do not answer it because I yeah. hear two. Yeah. I hear the plus. Yeah, I, I know where he's going. I know where he's going. Yeah, that's it. You just and can't. You can't help but say four in your head. Two plus two is four. Yeah, of course. So what happens if you start asking your brain questions that you don't normally ask it? So if you were to say, who's one person I've never considered reaching out to to help me become a success in this particular category of my life? And your brain goes, okay, well, we've received a question. Uh, let's, 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 get, let's get the answer to, to him or her. And you might not get it straight away, but you will get the answer. It might come in a couple of days. Your brain will keep on working on it. And then all of a sudden your brain goes, you know what? There was this woman I used to go to university with. Holy crap. I totally forgot about her. I think she said she was going to go into that field. And you Facebook her and you find out she's now this huge marine biologist. She totally remembers you because you used to party together. And she's willing to sit down and have a coffee with you. It's, it's because you've, you found the answer because your brain made you find the answer. So you're only always one question away from the answer, but you're never going to find the answer unless you ask the question. So you're really social. Oh, yeah. Right? Like you very much. Yes. Go to a party, do whatever. Where do you find the space to find those answers? Like, do you take time back on your own or are you an extrovert always around people? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert for sure. I am almost always around people, but I do love my alone time. And the way that I get those answers is uh, usually only one, well, two ways, but the main way for me is journaling. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I go to, I go to a cafe, uh, I go to a bar, I have a beer, I have a coffee, whatever it happens to be, I sit down and I just get my pen and paper. And I, I, I would never type it. It has to be cursive for me. And I'm, and I'm writing it out and I'll, and I'll just say, so what do you think about that idea that you were kind of playing around with that new business idea? And I'll say, well, here's what I like. I'm, I'm having like a weird, almost kind of like third person conversation with myself. Well, here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it. Or I'll say, you know, I think you're getting, you're, you're noticing that you're getting really anxious about mo- around mom lately. What, what do you think's going on there? And I'll say, well, maybe, it's the fact that she keeps, you know, harping on something that is pissing me off. Yeah. And you start coming up with, with, with answers that you wouldn't have found. And I just asked myself on paper. That's cool. So the, the journaling working, because a lot of people talk about journaling, but not from that perspective, like not actually having a conversation. It's like, a, like the paper becomes the other person in the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. The paper becomes the therapist. That's correct. 100%. And what's interesting is that um, because it's paper, because you're writing, it really causes you to focus. So if you were to say to yourself, well, no, I'm just going to pour myself a nice uh, cup of tea and I'm going to sit quietly in my office and I'm going to think about that thing. Well, it's so difficult to stay concentrated because you'll start thinking about that challenge you have in life or that goal you have. And automatically before you know it, you start thinking about, you know, whether or not you got enough Christmas presents uh, for the family or, 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 whether you need to replace the roof. I mean, you start, your brain just goes somewhere else. Right. And, and then you go, oh yeah, oh shit, 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 get back to the idea. Whereas when you're journaling, you, you, it's hard to, 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 to be um, di- di- uh, distracted. And so you just start writing to yourself. And then what's interesting is, is that there's answers within your brain that are, that are there that you never even knew existed. And you start surprising yourself with how smart you were. You're like, wow, I never even knew that I had that answer. It's just because you didn't look for it. 
You've gone from a 7.3 to a 8.3 in a matter of a question, you know, for yourself. Boom. I got a goal here. 1.7 to go. <laughs> You're going to get there. Right. I know it'll happen. That's all right. Tsunami. <laughs> That's awesome. So, but it hasn't been all fun and games. No, God, no. It's been okay. more, probably more, more heartache than, than fun sometimes, I think. Okay. And how do you, uh, from what perspective, heartache? Hmm. Well, okay. In fact, now that I said that, I replayed that what I just said out loud. That's not true. I have had, if it had been more heartache, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be talk, talking to you right now. I probably would have given up on the idea. But the heartache that I've experienced throughout my career comes in many different forms. So there's the obvious ones, right? When you're, when you're an entrepreneur, you go into situations where you lose money, so you have the heartache of, uh, of maybe be almost becoming bankrupt or not having the money to be able to buy the things you'd like to go to. So I remember when all my friends were going out west one time for one of our best buddies' wedding. And because I become an entrepreneur and they'd all worked in the, in the nine to five job, I didn't have the money to go. And I remember feeling that heartache at that time uh, or not being able to buy you know, people the presents that you'd like to buy them at Christmas time because there's not the money there. So there's that kind of heartache. And you got the heartache of um, creating something that you're really excited about. And sometimes people just don't want it. Uh, you, you get shortlisted as a speaker and then they say, well, we're going to go with another speaker. And you know what that's about. And, and it's hard to not internalize it and personalize it and think, well, they just don't like me. When, when, when the truth is, is that they actually just felt the other speaker was a better fit and the other speaker probably was a better fit. But you can't help but take it personally. You can't help but go, oh, maybe the, I'm not good enough. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe they, don't, I don't think, they don't think I'm interesting enough or that my content is worth it. And then you, you can get into the heartache that happens right on stage. I mean, how many times do I find myself ad-libbing a joke that I think is hilarious and it gets zero laugh, right? Like that happens. That's painful. It is, except, you know, I've gotten in the habit of calling them out. Like I'll be, like I have a very sarcastic way of going like, people, that was funny. And yeah, then yeah, they laugh, so you, right? Yeah, 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 so, yeah, right. Just so you know, I'm going to break that joke down for you. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me teach you yeah. why I'm funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you why other audiences laugh at that. We're going to side for yes, too. <laughs> anyway, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's hard because being on stage is there's also that conversation going on in the back of your head, mm -hmm. trying to read, like, are you still trying to read how the audience is perceiving? Like some people say, no, you just get up there and you mechanically, you go through what you're going to say, mm. or do you adjust according to the audience? What's your, your way, your magic? I, I would say that at this point now in my career, after 20, well over 20 years of doing it, I have what would be considered my baseline performance, my baseline keynote speech. And that baseline can't go below. So if it's, let's say my baseline is, well, let's call it a 10 out of 10, which it should be. If you, if you perfect something for so long, like it should be a 10 out of 10 or you shouldn't be doing this. Right. Right. Um, so well, I'm going to, I'm going to park that. Look at that. I even wrote a note. Do it. Okay. Write keep that going. down. Okay. Keep this thought. So to me, then, it really depends on the audience as to whether or not that keynote is going to be a 10 out of 10 or a 15 out of 10. And it'll be a 15 out of 10 if it's one of those audiences that laughs hard, cheers hard, that is engaged, is taking notes, is nodding. They're just giving me energy to just kind of take my game to that next level. I would imagine it's no different than, like, well, you see this with the NHL. Uh, I've always found it interesting because I don't really love hockey as a sport, but I'll watch it sometimes uh, during the playoffs. And it's, an, it's a more interesting game 
when the audience is that much more engaged and the playoffs brings out like the craziest uh, fans, right? So those players are, are, are working harder than they ever would. So, but, but when those players have a regular season game, they're still pretty awesome. They're still 10 out of 10. They're still professional athletes. Right. So that's the way it is for me, right? I'm, I'm a professional speaker, no matter what the situation is. But if, if, if the audience is really quiet and they're kind of like not engaged, it's still going to be a great presentation. But if they're really into it, then we're going to be knocking out of the park. How, were you always a 10 out of 10 on the speaking? Like no. actually crafting your speech? Like at what point did you get really good at that? I hate when I write a new keynote, which is not that often. Because I hate what I need to go through over the next few years to make it awesome. And I know, like, um, I would even say, for example, one of my newest keynotes is something called uh, The Choice, Five Decisions All Leaders Make. Yes. And it's only maybe, I don't even know, three years old. And when I get asked to do it, I feel much better about it than I did three years ago. But I just keep wishing it was 10 years from now because I know that that keynote will be so perfected. Certain jokes that didn't work will be taken out. New jokes will be added in. Certain ad-libs that I, I said that just came to me in the moment will stick and they'll stay in. And, um, and then I, I think more deeply about those subjects too. So, so I would say almost every time when I write a new keynote, if someone's bringing me in, it's going to be maybe an eight out of 10. And, and I will price it accordingly. Okay. Right? I, I will take that into account. Right. So I have a range in my speaking fee. I won't go to the top part of my range for, for, for new keynotes. So, cause I know that a new keynote, you're still going to get your laughs. You're still going to get your introspection. You're still going to get your audience feeling motivated and you're still going to have them walking away with some nuggets they can use. But if that same audience sees me do it again in 10 years from now, they're going to get, they're just going to get more. And, and I think that's true for anything, right? Even at professional athletes, they're, they're going to be better in five to 10 years just because they've learned the tricks of the trade. So you've allowed yourself building in that, that build. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big believer. Like I'm, I know a lot of people, this kind of comes back to almost to what we were saying earlier on. A lot of people won't even start or do anything unless they have workshopped the shit out of the idea. And to me, I don't have that patience. No. So like when I used to write motivational musicals, it's quite funny. I'll never forget my Doug saying, my friend Doug saying something to me. So I would be doing these musicals and I, I ran them for four years. By the time that you saw the last show compared to the first show, I had rewritten the script five times to the point where like, it was like completely different. Some of the songs were the same, but I just would get new ideas and I'd think of better ways of doing it. And my friend Doug jokingly once one time in a group of people, a bunch of performers, he said, you know, what's really great. But, and he's making fun of me. Like he's poking fun. He's like, Stuart, he's like, Stuart workshops the show and just charges people to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. He but at least you get something moving forward. How many people want to write a play, want to yeah. write a musical, do whatever it is. I don't even know what a motivational musical is. So you're going to have to back up on that, but the, it's this idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's for me, I would rather, instead of getting 10 people around a boardroom table to read a script and then have a conversation about what they liked and what they didn't like. I'd rather be like, you know what? We've, we've got something pretty damn good so far. Let's just get in front of an audience and let's let them tell us based yeah. on their response. And it's going to be a little bit ugly and a little bit chunky. Um, we're going to bang into each other a little bit, but we'll, we'll know straight away. We'll know faster than anything. And so I've, I've, I've always been of that, of that mentality. And so, cause I think there's no better feedback than, than live feedback like that. Well, and being willing to take feedback. Oh God. Having yeah. it, and that's hard. Yeah, it is. You know, it's funny. One of the things that used to happen when I used to get to the end of doing those musicals 
is people would come up to me at the end of the show and they'd say, oh my God, that was so great. I loved it. And they'd say, they would, they would be giving me a significant amount of praise, but yes. I would be very quick to stop them. I'd say, I appreciate that. But you know what? You got to give my cast a lot of praise as well, because during rehearsals, I was very clear that anyone who wants to give feedback can give feedback. And that was something that they were not used to because most directors and writers were so personal with their material. They'd be like, this is the way we're doing it. Take it or leave it. And if let's say one of my actors made a joke during rehearsal, that was just funny. I'd say, that's awesome. That's in. That's now going to become, so the joke, the audience thinks I wrote the joke, but I didn't write the joke. One of my actors wrote the joke. So yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Would you, okay. So tell me what a motivational musical is. First of all, just like in a snapshot, what is that? It's basically, where do you find one? Yeah, right there. They're everywhere. Mostly under rocks. Yeah, if you look hard enough, they're, they're so easy. No, it's, it's just me. I mean, I'm, I've always been someone who likes to write creatively. And so it would be me finding a storyline and then pulling in the, the biggest subjects that people care about. So career, love life, uh, family life, friendship life, those kinds of big subjects of life. And how do I weave that into a story? So my story for one of my musicals, for example, was... This guy has this kind of revelation at a bar and he realizes that um, everything in life has a reference point, meaning like you don't know hot unless you know cold. One, one does not exist without the other. And so he gets this idea, what if I were to try to find, instead of trying to discover who I am, why don't I just try to discover who I'm not? And I'm going to give myself seven days to do it. And so he goes through seven days trying to discover everything that he's not. And he goes, if I can discover everything that I'm not, then finally I'll know who I am. You follow him through his seven days. And then, of course, that brings in songs and that brings in emotions, that brings in, you know, memories and, and it becomes a story. Huh. That's cool. Thanks. Did you ever go down the path where you weren't passionate about what you're doing? Oh, I've had moments where I'm not passionate about what I'm doing. Definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I remember... Um, so I, I wrote that musical and then I wrote another musical and I was very passionate about those two. And then I thought I was ready to go off and do my own thing and do a one man show. And I did a one man show. And I called it games. And I remember every night being in the change room just before going on stage, feeling just get through it. I just wasn't, I rushed it and I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good and I thought it was ready. And I realized it wasn't ready. And, and I just didn't feel passionate about the material. I wasn't as excited about it. And for that reason, yeah, like that's just one example. But I've, I've done, I sometimes will do a, even a video that I won't, I, I won't, I won't show it because I just did, I, I did it and I'm like, oh, scrap it. I don't feel passionate about that. You don't like it. So that's it. Yeah, I thought I did in the moment. I, even halfway through, I'll sometimes just say to whoever's taping me, stop it. This is bullshit. <laughs> I this like is that. Yeah, this is, this is stupid. Do you have a team? A team of people who work for me or a team of people who support me? Yeah, I don't know. Work work for you, support you, virtual people. You've got the bureaus. So the bureaus book your gigs. So you've never, you don't have to worry about your sales side or are you both? Oh so I, I, love, I love how you're looking at me right now. Cause those, you can't see the video, but I can see him. Oh, wow. And he's yeah. like, okay, I, so I almost reached through. You almost um, did. I almost reached through and kind of like give you a little shake. No, no. I, so the bureaus are great. I love working with the bureaus, but the bureau, bureaus, I would say, get me about maybe 20% of my, my work. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 80% comes through me just doing everything I can to hustle and get people knowing about the work that I do and the work that I'm passionate about. 
far as having a team around me, it's not really. I have people that I contract out. So I have uh, one person that works full time and then everything else I need separately. So let's say digital marketing. And that comes to mind because I was having a conversation with my guy this morning. You know, we we will create a, a strategy together and I pay him his hourly rate to bring that to fruition. Uh, or I might pay a graphic designer to do what they do. As far as my actual support, there are a lot of entrepreneurs and speakers who I'm very close to, who I have lunches with and drinks with and coffees with. And um, those people are the ones that I, I find that really kind of help me cultivate my business strategies, my next ideas, and whatever it may be. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you're doing quite well with your balance with your family. You've got two little kiddos. I feel like we should bring them up because they're adorable. Thank you. I, and I could not agree more. <laughs> they're pretty, yeah. they're pretty cute. Eh? Well, I, I was, I was like one of those guys that was kind of on the fence about having children. And cause I, I, I just, I mean, from a spiritual perspective, I didn't want to just do something because that's what everyone else was doing. I wanted to do it because it made sense to me. And it wasn't until I became an uncle that I decided that I, oh, yeah, you know what, this, this feels right. I want to, I want to have family. And so I started a bit late. I'm 45 now. And so I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I got to say, if there's anyone listening to this right now who's on the fence and, and doesn't know if they want to have children, um, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just maybe don't. No, oh, I'm really? Eh? Well, yeah. you know, look, it's, 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 it's exactly what everyone says. It's harder than, than anyone can prepare you for. I got to say it is, it, it, without a doubt, it's, of course it's, it's, of course it's gratifying. And of course I love the hell out of my children, but I was like, wow. I mean, a lot of stuff that I used to enjoy doing or a lot of the things that I used to love producing, a lot of ideas I used to like bringing to fruition. There's just not the time to do it. And maybe that time will come when we start getting into a more of a routine when they start going to school. I don't know, but right now it's a shit show. And you're working out of the home, so they're there all the well, time. Well, they're in daycare during the day, thank God. But okay, thanks. but uh, yeah. yeah, like starting, what time is it? It's 3.13 right now. So I've got an hour and 45 minutes until all hell breaks loose in my house, right? And so somewhere I need to figure out uh, a lot of different things, do a lot of business, get back to some emails. So, but I, I, I can't wait to see them, right? Right. It's, so it's... It's both yeah. sides. It's like when people tell me, like I do a lot of travel and people ask me what my favorite place in the world to go is. And I always say India. And I say, but India is for me, I said, every time I'm there, I can't wait to leave. And every time I leave, I can't wait to go back. It's just that, it's just, that's India. India is like this epic country that will kick the crap out of you. You'll step in dog shit. You will, you know, you'll, 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 you'll probably get diarrhea at some point. But you will also see the most beautiful things you've ever seen. The most, you'll eat the best food. You'll see... The, the, the best parts of humanity, you'll see the most incredible colors, you'll hear the most amazing music. So it's, it's, and maybe this is life. Maybe this is, maybe this is life. And every life, every part of life has that yin and yang to it, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The fast five Let's questions, because I know you've got to uh, get prepared for all hell to break <laughs> right. loose in Europe. All right. A book that changed your life. Awaken the Giant Within, Anthony Robbins, first motivational book I ever read in my life. And even though I don't follow his work today, and I don't really love a lot of the work he's doing today, only because it's a little bit too rah-rah for me, but it is the reason I do what I do today. Okay, because 22 years ago, that probably would have been when he came yeah, out Yeah, it was that. like a, a, a New York Times bestseller. It just came out. It was his second book. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, thick one. Really thick one, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, why don't you love what he's doing today? Ra rah. Have you been to one of his live seminars? I lately? Not, yeah, I have somewhat lately. I've walked on the hot coals. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've drank the Kool-Aid and I, and I do love, I think what he does is so important. Um, I just feel like it's become a bit too commercialized for me. And I think it's lost its heart okay. to a certain extent, but you know, he's, he's, he's figured out the business. He makes his, he makes 50 to hundred million dollars a year for a reason. Yeah. He's not doing bad. all right. A uh, time in your career when you pushed through fear. Uh, I would say one that comes to mind is one that I talk about in stage. When I was 28 years old, I was $250,000 in debt, uh, with line of credit debt, credit card debt, and pretty sure I was going to go bankrupt and was so afraid because I thought I'm going to have to go back to every person who I convinced that I'm going to be able to make this dream come true and tell them I completely failed. And I was, the fear was like, I was, it was, it was terrorizing and, it was, and I, I was in a panic mode and I'd, I'd wake up in sweats and I'd be clenching my teeth and actually grinding my teeth oh it was brutal and I I, I just I just thought there's, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this I don't know how I, and and after I fail what's gonna happen next it was just everything I was I just couldn't I was afraid of everything at that time so the only way I could push through it was just almost to do everything I could to ignore it and just stay focused and just keep going and then 250,000 became 240,000, became 235,000, and eventually became zero. Wow. That's a lot to be staring down. Yeah. Yeah, it was at. intimidating. Yeah, it absolutely would be. If you could change one thing that people do on social media, what would that thing be? Uh, it would be not what they do, but what they're not doing. And that is oh. speaking up and not being so afraid to share their opinion. Because on social media, you'll get somebody who will make a comment about religion, let's say, or a hot topic, politics, you name it. And you'll get about six or seven people on that, on that person's feed who has the guts to say something. They're like, you're a dick, Stuart. I, don't, I believe in God. I'm not an atheist like you. And, like, and it's like, okay, cool. Let's have, a, let's have a, a respectful debate about this, right? Whereas I know there's so many people who are reading it who are so afraid to share their thoughts for fear that their friends will see them actually having a goddamn opinion about something. Heaven <laughs> forbid people find out you have a brain. And so they, they play it safe. They just don't say anything. So it's interesting because in the political world, I used to be very involved in politics and it fired yeah. me up mm. a lot. And ultimately, because I'm on the wrong side of, you know, all of my friends, apparently, because I'm a conservative and I've, you know, ran for the progressive conservatives and, you know, the story goes it. on. But I just gave up. Like, there comes a oh. point where you stop saying what you want to say because people will attack on the other this, side. This is just it. You know, it's funny that you say this because I'm actually planning on doing uh, one of my next videos is going is, is actually the title. The working title is, Are You an Internet Coward? And where it came from was we, so I was mentioning to you before, I don't think I came up in this interview, but so we had bought the house next door to us and we renovated it. It's a duplex and we're renting it out. Well, we, we were about to rent it out and the rents in Toronto are enormous and we're putting it on for rent uh, for market value. And we posted it on this one Facebook page and the vitriol was unbelievable. <laughs> Who do you guys think you are? charging this much for rent you're just greedy you just want us to pay for all of your luxurious vacations i mean they just raked us through the coals and we're like well we're just putting a 
an apartment up for rent at, at market value. Anyway, but to me, I just feel like you're such a coward because first of all, you probably wouldn't say that to my face. Okay. So if, you, if you're not going to say something to someone's face, then don't say it on the internet. Because if you don't have the guts to do it in someone's face, then you, you, it's, you're, you, to me, your point is irrelevant. But when it comes to the political situation you went through, if people were just respectful, if they just said, you know what, I got to say, I feel a little frustrated at the prices of, of rent in Toronto these days, and it really makes me uh, sad because I'd like to live in the city and I just don't have the money to be able to afford rent, then we can have a real conversation right? As opposed to saying, you're just a greedy bastard. Well, then we have no conversation. Same is, same is true with politics. If someone says, oh, you know, all you conservatives care about is, is, is whatever, like money and, and, and corporate um, taxes, and, and for that reason, you're a bad person, well, then they've, they've killed the conversation before it's even started. So I would say that you may have not lost your joy uh, of having those heated debates had people been more respectful. But when people are just attacking, then you, 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 they, they took the wind out of your sail. Right, because they go after the person or the politician right. and not the policy. That's it. That actually... And I'll, I'll hit up policy all day long. Right. But don't say, oh, she's this or, oh, he's that. Like, they're human beings. Well, I would say what you just said there hits on one of the biggest problems I think our world is actually facing along with all the big problems that we have. But one that no one's really seeming to look at is people's inability to separate themselves from ideas and to recognize ideas are just ideas and they are not you. And when people start making it personal, they end up losing the ability to have any type of constructive movement toward a better world. So if I say that I think that the idea of religion is humorous, then that means that people who are religious will automatically believe that I think that they're silly. And I said, no, no, I didn't say you think the idea is silly. I think the idea is silly. So I currently think it's a bad idea to choose Syria as your next vacation spot. Like if I had, if as a traveler and someone says, I'm thinking of going to Syria, okay? Now you might've, you might be Syrian. And is that, am I saying that you as a Syrian, you're a bad person? No, I'm just saying that there's a lot of war torn conflict that's happening there right now. And for that reason, there's an elevated risk for your life there than, than let's say other places around the world. And so people just take it so personally. It's like, no, 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 it's an idea. I think the idea of traveling to Syria is a bad idea, not you traveling to Syria. I'm not saying you're stupid. I think the idea is stupid. So the ideas, you said ideas are not the person. Yeah, they're not. They're not you. And people believe that they are. It's like That's the, easy, the easiest way of looking at this is that, so your name's Allison, my name's Stuart. But your parents could have chosen any other name for you and my parents could have chosen any other name for you. So am I Stuart? No, I'm not Stuart. That just happens to be a label that, that I use as a way of identifying myself to other people. I'm not Stuart. I'm also not a professional speaker, okay? Professional speaking is what I chose to do, but I could have been a doctor. I actually find healthcare really interesting. That may have been the path I've chosen. So I'm not a professional speaker. It's just what I do. do I, am I a Torontonian? No, I'm a person who chooses to live in Toronto. And then you just keep peeling the layers and going back further and further. You realize that everything you think you are, you're not. And if that's true, you're not any idea. And if that's the case, then you should be able to talk about it without any personal conflict. Huh. Anyway. 
And that sums it up. I there like it. All right. Last, <laughs> last question. Um, actually, second last question. Worst or best networking story? Worst or best networking story? I would say that, great question. I, I would I'd probably want to lean towards best networking story because I, I've always loved the idea that one person can change the course of your life. I've always found it really neat. And if I look at some of the things that have happened in my life, I can trace them back through 20, 30, 40, 50 people, right to the original person that I met. And I find that to be such a fascinating thing because if you really stop and think about it, that would get you really excited about the next person you might meet. And people will just, they, if they, they don't do it because they don't, they don't think that far ahead. But just this week, I had a woman named Teresa email me and she said, it was so great seeing you at the event the other day. And she started mentioning some other people that she had seen. And she said, it was so great to see Harry uh, there, this guy named Harry. And she said, I still remember uh, the days 15 years ago when I brought Harry to your musical. And I, I had no idea how it was that Harry came to be at these musicals. And to this day, Harry is now, is a man in his 70s. He's an extremely successful entrepreneur. He's not only one of my really close friends, he's a mentor, he's uh, somebody who has opened up so many doors for me. And it's because of Teresa. And the reason that Teresa was there is because of this other guy, I believe, named Donish, who had been there. Anyway, I can, and then through that, like from Harry to his daughter, Robin, to his um, wife, uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry's, I mean, I could go through hundreds of people that I probably know because that one person made a decision to bring one person to one of my shows. So, so that to me, like, is, is the best kind of outcome of any kind of networking experience. Crazy. Yeah. When you think about that. All right. Last one. Favorite empowering quote. If a man is called upon to be a street sweeper, he should sweep those streets as Michelangelo painted, as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep those streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth pause and say, here lived a street sweeper who did his job well. Martin Luther King. Beautiful. Love that quote. If you're going to do something, just do it well. Where can people get a hold of you? Uh, well, they could. I mean, the easiest is stuartknight.com. S-T-U-A-R-T-K-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, there, they can sign up for my newsletters, for my videos. If they do, they're going to get a free copy of my second book. Uh, and of course, I am on the uh, social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook fan page. Find me, stay in touch, and uh, I'd love to be able to uh, offer you some laughs every so often, some thoughts every so often, and hopefully something that'll inspire you to live a even more exciting version of the awesome life you're already li living. That's awesome. And uh, I will say, I actually think you're a 10 point. Oh, we did it. I'm bringing nice it out. One. You have gone. <laughs> You called yourself a right. seven. You know, I opted. Well, you never know. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for being here. I love getting to chat with you and to the Resiliency Ninjas out there. Thanks for tuning in each and every week. Please don't forget to subscribe and to share. And if you would like, I know I would like for you to write a review and just say something nice about this, the chit chat we've had and share it with somebody who needs to hear this. So thank you very much. And don't forget to tune in on Friday for Facha Fridays. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.